Hello, beautiful. Hello there. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> Hello. Hello, John. Welcome to the party, pal. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Hello, Poppy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. And I'm your other host, Chris. How are you doing today? Wonderful. So we're starting to exit out of that summer high movies. A uh, couple of movies that are still on the docket that we uh, enjoyed. A well, couple of movies that I didn't. Listen, I got to tell everybody to buckle up because this is going to be a long one. I have some movies in here that I am a diehard fan of. Yeah, and uh, you know, you already made alluded to what those were last time. Uh, he's talking about Young Guns too, mostly. Mostly, but also My Blue Heaven. Oh, that's right. I for- I forgot that it was on the docket of movies because it wasn't an hour listen to pile. <laughs> well, uh, I I watched it because I own a copy of it, and it- I didn't need to watch it again. But why wouldn't I? So I just want to take a moment to apologize to director Tony Scott because, you know, as we've been watching these um, movies and really going along on this podcast, I've really started to have a deeper uh, understanding and respect for directors as a whole. And we didn't know who Tony Scott was. And he's actually a very affluent director and brother of Ridley Scott. (laughs) Well, uh, I can't say that I knew who he was either, so I'm on board with you, but we're learning as we go, and yeah, I, th- I think I that's think, a plus. I think that's the whole point of this, right? Like We wanted to have a deeper understanding of movies, and slowly but surely, I think we're coming a little bit more aware of uh, what's going on. Also, I want to say that um, I believe last last month, in my opinion, having re-listened to it, was our best episode entertainment-wise, but also our worst episode in sticking to our format in terms of talking about the topics that we have yeah so we need to do a little bit better job of really sticking to that format because i know you guys listening you you're you're looking for certain things and uh when we don't talk about them it might be a little annoying yeah so we're definitely going to do a better job sticking to the format all right uh after all that i'm ready to rock and roll and get into august so we got uh 18 titles this month and we're going to start off with them that's a lot well it's going to go quick except for (laughs) a couple of titles that are going to take me really long to get through (laughs) All right, so coming in at number 18, we have a movie called Dreams. Now, this is where I do have some knowledge of movies and directors and movie history. So this is directed by Akira Kurosawa. This particular movie is a a collection of stories from actual dreams from Kurosawa. Was it his dreams? Yes, his dreams. All right, well, I've actually heard of this director, too. I can't name a thing he's done, but that name is definitely familiar. Okay, so I've seen Seven Samurai. Now, this movie's heralded as a landmark classic. It's supposedly the first movie where they assembled a team to go and accomplish a mission. Like the Avengers? Yes, but directly, uh, The Magnificent Seven was directly taken from this movie, as well as The Guns of Navarone and The Dirty Dozen. If you've never seen The Dirty Dozen, that's an amazing older war movie. All right, so he also made a movie called uh, uh, Yohimbo, which is a samurai adventure. Uh, that was remade as A Fistful of Dollars. That's a Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, and that basically 
created the spaghetti western and the movie Hidden Fortress inspired George Lucas's Star Wars. Well, that's that's impressive. So he's really regarded as one of the most important filmmakers of all time. Some of this I knew, some of this I took from online and read, but I was aware of his impact on basically what we know as like uh, The Hateful Eight, The Magnificent Seven, those sorts of collaborative, let's go accomplish right. something and movies. He was the first one to do it. And, you know, it, it kind of adds on to that whole thing of like, we really need to get to know directors better because it does change the way movies are made, the landscape of movies. And clearly this guy had a major impact on George Lucas, who, you know, might be one of the top five most influential directors of all time. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was interesting. I would like to see more of uh, Kurosawa's uh, films, which I will. So, all right. Number 17, After Dark, My Sweet. Grows two point six million. Bruce Dern plays the third lead in a crime drama mystery. The third that, lead. Yeah, that, that's as interesting as this movie gets. <laughs> All right, number sixteen, Metropolitan. Grows two point nine million. This is a rom com with nobody notable acting or directing. Not at all. Not one person. Watch at your own risk. <laughs> all right, number fifteen, The Lemon Sisters. Grows three point four million. A comedy drama with Diane Keaton, Elliot Gould, and Adrian Quinn. Listen. Diane Keaton, I'm right out. Yeah, you hate Diane Keaton. It's no. not that I hate. It's just that I'm not interested. But you know what's blowing my mind right now is the whole idea that, like, in January, like, we had all these movies, the same number of movies. I think it was 18 movies or 19 movies, whatever it was. None of them made this much money as number 16, number 15. I think it was the I think it's the, the time of year that had, plays a big but, impact. Which actually doesn't make any sense to me, right? Because when I think of like, I know that the summer is the blockbuster. That's the time to go to the movies, whatever. But why? I would think the winter when you're stuck inside anyway, that would be the time to go to the movies. I don't know. I don't want to leave my house in the winter. We live in New York and when it gets cold and it's snowy and icy, I really don't want to go anywhere. And also, we don't live in the worst cold states of the country like we're not that's, in michigan that's or true but it's Dakotas. just like that time of year it's like i've been stuck in my house for a month buried in snow let me get out and go see a movie no no i'll watch a movie at any time so i don't know what the logic is but nevertheless that is what it is <laughs> number 14 delta force 2 this is a chuck norris film well how was delta force 1 i couldn't tell you you know why <laughs> you didn't see i am not a chuck norris fan i should have saved my word hate for this because you don't hate diane keaton but you hate chuck norris I might hate Chuck Norris. I've seen one of his films, and it was a train wreck. So, all right. This one's directed by Aaron Norris. Take one guess who Aaron Norris is. His cousin? His brother. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, DEA agents are taken captive by a ruthless South American kingpin, and the Delta Force is reunited to rescue them in the sequel to the 1986 original. Number 13, The Two Jakes. Now, I had known of this title i had no idea what this actually was yeah i've heard of this movie as well so have you heard of the movie chinatown yes okay this is the sequel to chinatown uh chinatown's regarded as a, a cinematic masterpiece uh this is jack nicholson harvey keitel meg tilly and madeline stowe also this one's directed by jack oh all right so it's like a real movie yeah <laughs> i mean i i i started watching not that long ago um, I didn't finish it. Chinatown. I was very interested, but with all the movies and stuff we have to do for the podcast, I haven't gotten through okay. it, but I will. And I, en I was enjoying what I was seeing. So number 12, another movie that I had completely mistaken pump up the volume. I'm sorry. Two Jakes grows 10 million. Delta force grows 6 million pump up the volume grows 11.5 million. So this is a jock jams movie. 
Yes, exactly what it is. <laughs> no, I thought Pump Up the Volume for some reason was a hip hop movie. It's it's not that. All right, so this is um, uh, Christian Slater. The plot is Mark, who's Christian Slater, runs a pirate radio station and causes an uproar uh, when he speaks his mind, and uh, like the teens of the town are sparking this, like some th- sort of revolution. That's a plot that's occurred multiple times throughout movies no yeah i mean it seems like you c- it's a plug and play sort of theme yeah all right uh number 11 wild at heart grossing 14.5 million young lovers sailor who's nick cage and lula who's laura dern and where's laura dern from uh jurassic park Clever girl. uh run from the variety of weirdos that lula's mom has hired to kill sailor uh, also starring Willem Dafoe, Crispin Glover, Isabella Rossellini, and Harry Dean Stanton. Well, that's an interesting cast. That's something I, I, I'd like to take a look at this one. I, re- I would really like to watch this movie. I, th- I think oh. we know what we're doing after the podcast tonight. Also, you ne- the, the reason why this one's exciting, you never know what Nick Cage you're going to get. Yeah. Are you going to get maniac, maniacal Nick Cage? See, but here's the thing. Do you care which Nick Cage you get? No, because I love them all. There's like seven different ones. The worst amazing. Nick Cage might possibly be the best Nick Cage. All right, number 10, a movie that everyone's familiar with, or at least should be if you love this decade, Men at Work, grows $16 million. So two garbage men who are Sheen and Estevez uncover a conspiracy involving illegal toxic waste dumping and decide to bring the whole operation down. This is also directed by Estevez and starring, uh, in addition to the two, Keith David. So I love it when Estevez and Sheen get together. Love. And I don't like this movie. Because, like, they're brothers, but are they really brothers? <laughs> well, they are really brothers. No, I know that, but, like, they they, they literally... They couldn't are, be any more different. No, they couldn't. Yeah, which is, I guess, why one took their father's name and one took their their mother's name. That's why they have the different last names. Yeah, I've seen this a couple of times. It's not my favorite Sheen uh, Estevez movie. Not not by a long shot. All right, number nine, Mo Better Blues, grossing $16 million. So this is a fictional character piece about uh, Bleak Gilliam, played by Denzel Washington. Bleak Gilliam's a jazz trumpet player, I believe, down in New Orleans. So uh, This also has a, a really deep cast. This has Spike Lee, Wesley Snipes, Giancarlo Esposito, Robin Harris, who's the dad from House Party, Samuel L. Jackson, Charlie Murphy, and John Turturro. Wow. This is, and, and, and this is way before Denzel's Denzel, though. Like he's still got a couple of years before he breaks out. I guess so. I mean, I would have to really look it up to say for sure. But I mean, he's not. I don't think he's like the leading man that he turns into yet. Uh, this is also directed by Spike Lee. So, number eight, childhood classic. Get ready to get excited. I'm listening. Ducktales, the movie, Treasure yeah. of the Lost Lamp. Ducktales. Life is like a if you don't know the theme song, we can't be friends. Life is like a hurricane. All right. So the only notable thing that you need to know, aside from the nostalgia of this. Is Scrooge McDuck swims in a pit full of money. Well, of course he does. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd voices Murloc, who's the antagonist in this movie. All right. Everybody else is like just, you know, their regular um, uh, voiceover actors. But look, 1990s, both of my parents worked. I would come home from school, either make myself some Elio's pizza or a bowl of cereal, sit down, watch DuckTales in the Disney afternoon. DuckTales, Tailspin. I think we've, we've spoken about this multiple times, but 
Why? How can we not? It's literally Ducktales, Tailspin, Goof Troop, Darkwing Duck, and then so you had um, Chippendales Rescue oh, Rangers. You also had Gummy Bears. Yeah, I don't remember that one. Well, gummy bears bouncing here and there and everywhere. No idea what you're talking about. All right, I'm going to stop singing because it's a talent (laughs) I definitely don't possess. All right, so yeah, that's my nostalgia. All right, number seven, taking care of business. Uh, I'm sorry, DuckTales also grossed $18 million. I really have to get better at doing this. Number seven. Format, more Matt. Yeah, I know. I just, I chastised myself no less than 10 minutes ago (laughs) about the format, and now I'm butchering it again. Number seven, taking care of business. Gross $20 million. It's a comedy. Jim Belushi plays an advertising exec. I don't Uh, like Jim Belushi. I'm not a fan. He has his entire life in an organizer, which mistakenly ends up in the hands of a friendly convict who poses as him. Uh, Next. Yes. Also (laughs) has Charles Grodin, who not a fan of, and Hector Elizondo. All right. Number six. Here we go. My Blue Heaven. My Blue Heaven. Grossing $23.6 million. Steve Martin. Now, look, I'm going to say something that... This, that, this that, is one of those movies that I know why you love it, because it's infinitely quotable. Uh, yes, that's <laughs> probably the only reason why I love it. I, I'm not... Listen, th- all right, so this is one of two movies that I'm such a fan of that I'm unable to tell whether or not it's a good movie. To me, five stars. You know why I know it's a good movie? Because my father likes it. My father hates watching movies that aren't John Wayne movies. So the fact that my father loves this movie, it has to be a good movie because he hates everything. All right. So I'm going to say, well, I want to finish my thought before and say what what some people might completely disagree with. I'm going to say that this role almost, almost transcends Steve Martin. He doesn't look like Steve Martin. He doesn't sound like Steve Martin. And he doesn't act like Steve Martin. Well, yeah, because he actually has some vulgarity in this movie. And Steve Martin's like famed for never being vulgar. Fine. I, I, I'll accept I'm all of to that. Your point. But uh, I, no, I'm, I'm saying like, but I don't think that that's hitting the nail on the head. There's for, more to it than that. I'm saying that he plays a, a role where. It's an over-the-top New York accent, but it's over-the-top on purpose, and it's ridiculous, and it's silly. But it's not but even that over-the-top, because his, his whole persona is exactly how I make fun of my wife's family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that just the way he plays it is like it's unlike any to- anything I've ever seen him do, and I think he does, he does exactly what he intended to do very well. All right, moving on. What's the movie about? It's, it, the plot is... Uh, Steve Martin plays Vinny Antonelli. He's a rat. He's, yep. He, so he, but he's he, also the crime boss too, isn't he? Like no, he's not the boss. He, no. no, not at all. He flipped on the mob uh, and now he's in the witness protection program. Rick Moranis plays Agent Barney Coopersmith. Love me some Rick Moranis. He's in charge of uh, keeping Steve Martin out of trouble until they bring him back to the trial in New York. Joan Cusack plays Hannah Stubbs. Uh, Melanie Mayron plays Crystal Ryback William. These are the two cops that keep on catching Steve right. Martin doing things again, getting involved in crime that All he's not hijinks. supposed to be. And then you have William Hickey. Who's William Hickey? He's Uncle Lewis on Christmas Vacation. Oh, he's back. Yeah. And <laughs> then uh, last month. And then uh, Daniel Stern also pops up for about two minutes as well. All right. So look, Chris hit it when he said this movie has infinitely quotable lines. So I'll, I'll run through the plot real quick. Which I did already, I guess. But he goes in and out of getting in trouble, caught in random schemes. And it's just basically a a comedy about 
how to get Steve Martin from point A, which is witness protection program, to point B, which is to testify at the trial back in New York. And he makes it as complicated as possible for Rick Moranis. All right. So I just now all I want to do is run down all of the, my favorite quotes from this movie, and then we can move on. When do I get to give my favorite? Uh, you could go first because then I'm just going to rattle off like maybe two dozen. So the one that sticks in my mind, I don't know, because every time I eat a salad, I, I think of this line is he's in the supermarket and he's walking out and the... The manager's like, do you have any recommendations? And he's like, yeah, you don't have any arugula. He goes, what's that? He goes, it's a vegetable. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm going to start from the very first opening scene. Barney Cooper Smith is taking uh, Vinny's uh, social security number. Being that he's a career gangster, he has no idea what his social security (laughs) number is. So he starts rattling off just random digits, and he gives one too many numbers. So Barney goes... That's one too many. So his response was, take off the five. <laughs> All right, next scene, he goes to the supermarket. Wow, we're doing this, huh? No, no, no. It, you, <laughs> listen, strap in, fella. Should we just turn the movie on and just put the mic up to the I, You might as well. <laughs> All right, so the very next scene, right before he gives the arugula quote, he's walking by random people and they're like <laughs> wishing him good day. And one employee just have randomly goes, have a nice day. And he goes, fuck you. <laughs> All right, what else? And that's uh, what I'm talking about. Steve Martin don't curse. All right. So, oh, this one's a classic. He's later on in the movie, he's in the supermarket again. He sees this, what he thinks is a smoking hot girl in the frozen food section. So he oh, walk, yeah, I know walks right up to her. He goes, you know, it's dangerous <laughs> yes. for you to be here in the frozen food section. She goes, why is that? He's like, he goes, because you could melt, melt all this, this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What else? I'll give you one more. You uh, got go one ahead. more. And then we got to move on. Go ahead. No, I mean, you get to oh, give one more. Oh, I get more. to give one That's more. That's it. All right, so what about when he meets uh, uh, Billy Sparrow, one of the guys who's also in the witness protection program that's running the pet shop, and they're going back and forth calling each other dirty rat, you dirty rat, snitch, <laughs> stool pigeon, informer, squealer, and then Billy goes, you dirty rat. And Vinny goes, I already said you dirty rat. He goes, yeah, but I say it better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough. Come on, let's go. I, I could keep on going, but in... in to save everybody from being tortured by me, we'll let so it go. Is this a movie you would recommend? Uh, no. Please don't watch it. <laughs> I want to be the only one who knows about it. All right. So that's it. That was my blue heaven. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pare that down in post. <laughs> <laughs> so The Exorcist 3, coming in at number five, grossing $25 million. All right. So the third installment of the series, again, starring George C. Scott, a police lieutenant uncovers more than he bargained for as his investigation of a serial... Of, of a series of murders, excuse me, uh, which all have the hallmarks of the deceased Gemini serial killer leads him to question the patients of a psychiatric ward. Uh, that was a long description. <laughs> Number four, Air America. Shame to say, I've never seen this movie before. Grossing $30 million. The director, uh, Roger Spottiswood, also directed 48 Hours, The Sixth Day, Turner and Hooch, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, and Tomorrow Never Dies. He had others, but those are the most notable. Yeah. So I know last week we said we were going to watch this as well because it was so close to uh, Darkman and, yeah. and uh, they're gross. But apparently I was wrong. I was reading the wrong numbers and they, you, were, they weren't even within a couple of million dollars of each other. Well, they were. They was off by two million. So uh, you were wrong and you weren't that wrong. Okay. All right. Uh, also, the reason why I'm ashamed I've never seen this before is because it stars Mel Gibson and Robert Downey Jr., two guys that I'm a huge fan of. 
Uh, plot is a young pilot finds himself recruited unwittingly into a covert and corrupt CIA airlift organization operating in Vietnam War era Laos. I mean, look, Robert Downey Jr. and Mel Gibson, uh, I would watch it. Yeah, it seems like worth a watch. All right, that's it. Number three, right. and we're in. getting into it now, is Darkman. Who? No foolish heroics, if you please. Is. Dark Man. They destroyed everything he had. All that he loved. Everything that he was. Now, crime has a new enemy, and justice has a brand new face. I was afraid that you wouldn't want me anymore. Of course I still want you. The good news is that I know who's behind our little troubles of late. Finish it. He has the power to look like any man. This two are both sons of witches! But he is unlike any man. I gotta tell you something about me. He's a cockroach. You think you're killing? He pops up someplace else. In the darkest hour. Julie, who's the real monster here? There's a light that shines on every human being. But one. From director Sam Raimi. Dark Man. Uh, gross thir- almost $33 million. Chris, what did you think of this movie? So this is one of those movies that for the first like five minutes, I didn't know what the movie was. Yeah. I think I'm going to start like prefacing these movies before I watch them because I had a hard time like accepting everything that was happening. And then I realized it was all done on purpose. Yeah. Well, I, one of my first notes was that I appreciate the uh, outlandishness of this movie. And once I realized that it was directed by Sam Raimi, like it started to make a whole lot more sense about what was going on in this movie. But I really still found the acting to be completely subpar. Yeah, I mean, look, so uh, a little bit of background story. Uh, Sam Raimi decided to make this movie when he couldn't land the Batman movie. Well, it was, and it wasn't even just Batman either, because then after that he started looking um, to buy. The, uh, the, uh, there was another comic book. It wasn't. I think it was called Dark or something like that. And um, you know he couldn't get the rights for that either. So like he really wanted to make a comic book movie. That's really all he was trying to do. Which he ends up doing with Spider Man One, Two, and Three. But <laughs> that's and and I also had this had a, a, the feel at certain points of the the Spider Man series. Right, and Spider Man, the first one that he directed in my opinion, is the best Spider-Man movie to date. Agreed. Um, two was okay, and then three just went off the rails. But Three was a train wreck. Yeah. But every, uh, three is, is laughably bad. And but right. All right, so let's but get back the, to... Th- the point is, he's trying to make a comic book movie. So what does he do? Because he can't get the rights for what he wants. He writes his own comic book. Which is, you know, um, admirable. And I got to be honest, I, I really like the story. I like the idea behind the story. I oh, it's a great... Let's get into the plot since we're okay. here. So Liam Neeson uh, plays Peyton Westlake, who turns into Dark Man. He's supposed to be like a super genius uh, bio... Bio, like biochemist engineer, right? Like Something like that. Yeah, yeah they're working on a, a skin replication. 
right. uh, that's going to like revolutionize skin grafting and all that stuff. Problem is, is that it can't let the it won't stay together. The cells liquid liquidate, I Liquify guess, in 99 minutes in sunlight. Yes. exactly. Thank you for clearing that up for me. But in the dark, they stay, yeah, it they stays, for, stays for forever. So yeah. um, his girlfriend he's dating is like an investigative reporter. She stumbles upon a memo played by Francis McDormand. Which, like, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, she looks familiar. She I doesn't look like Frances McDormand. No, not at all. She's so much younger. But she looked familiar, and I couldn't place her. And I was like, man, this woman's a terrible actress. She's awful. She's terrible. I can't wait to look her up and see who she is. And then I'm like, wait a minute. That's that's the woman from Three Billboards? Yeah. Like, that, that literally blew that movie out of the water? Yeah. I, well, was, I, I was so surprised it was this, the same person. This movie's not... You're not. You're never gonna get somebody playing a role that's like, wow, they really crushed that because I wasn't looking. The for whole that. thing's supposed to be over the top. I get it, but she wasn't over the top. She was so flat the whole movie. There's no like, she wasn't given much to do. I don't think. No, but she wasn't. But even in the scenes where she is given something to do, she's just, just talking. And I'm gonna get to that later when we get to favorite lines because. We'll, we'll get there. All right. So anyway, she finds an incriminating memo. There's, um, you know, being that there's uh, it's a, supposed to be a comic book movie sort of thing. There's super villains. Uh, it ends up getting Westlake killed. Uh, and then he returns as Dark Man for vengeance. So uh, other notable roles. There really are none. Liam Neeson's the only memorable face in this movie. How about uh, I can't really pronounce her last name properly. Properly. Excuse me. Even though it's simple. Jenny Aguter. A Agutter. Anyway. It's she's uncredited. You know who she's from? No. The nurse in um, uh, an American Werewolf in Paris. So oh do you wow. remember that's the that's doctor that's, that's, that's really showing? No, I haven't watched that movie in like two years. I know, but do you know the the scene where uh, they're yeah, I know in the hospital? About, yes. And I'm like, I know this woman's face, and I knew who it was, and I'm looking her up and on IMDb. And those dots for and you. And but she wasn't in IMDb because this movie's uncredited for her. And I, and then I I looked it up, and I I realized through internet research that was her and couldn't figure out why she's uncredited. But you know, that's something we need to figure out, though. Why do people go uncredited? If somebody could email us at Chris, what's our wonderful new email address? Be kind, please rewind, 90s, 90s, at gmail.com. So if somebody knows why people go uncredited, uh, you could email us and tell us and we'll learn something. All right, so anyway, uh, back to what did you think about this movie? So... <sighs> I found certain parts of it a lot of fun. I found certain parts of it entertaining. But for the most part, I just felt like the, the movie fell flat overall. Yeah, look, I, so I like I said, I really enjoyed the over-the-top scenes. The first scene was really enjoyable um, because they are at a standoff in a warehouse, oh, which is, is great, right? Yeah, I like it. Okay, this. so both sides have guys with guns. Now... Tell me why the orig the first bad guy, the guy who was in the warehouse, I have no idea what his name was, had his goons all around the Everybody warehouse, so many goons. up on levels, second, first level, second level, third level, all with, all with guns, automatic weapons, right? But his ploy was then to have cars in huge crates bust out <laughs> as a surprise. But hold on, you have your goons all around the place. What do you need the surprise element of the cars for? I think that I think that whole scene is just this, like to say like this is how ridiculous these scenes in movies they are. They had to set the bar. Right. Well, because the whole idea is though the, like so the 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 main guys of the movie, the main bad guys of the movies, they show up to this warehouse on the water or whatever and they're frisked and all their weapons are taken away. Mm -hmm. So they're 
weaponless, which yep. is fine. Okay, they have no weapons because they're going into a deal. Yeah. Then all the goons show up and surround them, and there's th- literally hundreds of goons with automatic weapons. Yeah. So their retaliation to come back at them now is they take the leg off the one guy who has a fake leg. The prosthetic leg. And it's got a gun in it. <laughs> okay, great. Except for this is your only gun now. No, but he mowed everybody down with it. Everybody. He... And somehow the rest of the guys all have guns now. <laughs> yeah, you never see how they get that. I, I also thought it was nice to see a young-ish Liam Neeson. Yeah, but he, he looks the same. He he really doesn't. He de- never was young, and he also hasn't really aged. Yeah, he's, he's never been young, but he's also never been old. Because they, they say he's 30, 35 in the movie. But I'm like, you know, he looks like his solid 50 years old that he is now. <laughs> even though now he's like 60 or 70. Yeah. All right. I also thought you know, so when they go to the back to the lab when they're about to blow up the uh the lab with Liam Neeson in it, I I it just felt very like comic book ish like the shots, the smashing his head through all the different glass yeah. pieces of glass, yeah, uh, beating him up and then the way they ran him over to the yeah. to the acid to dip his face in the acid. Like I felt like they could be stills like like um cells in a comic book. Yeah, absolutely. And and Sam Raimi did an awesome job with that. But he needed to get more out of his actors, in my opinion. I'm sorry. I know it's not. It's supposed to be like this. The way I had, it is. But I, I think he could have gotten more out of some of the actors. I had a couple uh, not supposed to be funny, funny moments that I laughed out loud. All right. Let's hear them. Number one was uh, after he's flying through the air, the explosion. So the explosion. Oh, no. That was supposed to be funny because I have that written down, too. And so that that was funny to me. And then I don't know least, if it was supposed I, to be funny either, but I was dying laughing. So when he... Uh, at, when his face is melting, when he was after he was at the carnival. Oh yeah, I have this written down too. And he's yes. r- he's running, holding the pink elephant, and he's holding his face, and its face is smoking, melting yes. off, and he's like sobbing, crying. It was all supposed to be funny because even the part where he loses his temper to the uh, yeah to, to the, uh, the the carny, carny that yeah. was fantastic. He he just literally loses his mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I thought this movie did a good job of setting the tone, right? Like it was outlandish and it was supposed to be outlandish. And if you like, if you embrace that point, then you can enjoy the yeah, movie. Like I said, I enjoyed it, but I just felt like it, it fell flat. And when it fell flat was when Liam Neeson wasn't on screen. He held the movie together, which I guess that's what a lead is supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but I also don't think Liam Neeson, with the exception of the movie Taken, is really a great lead in a movie. Well, I don't know if he's a great lead, but he's definitely a great character actor. All right, so let's hit the categories before I forget. Go back to the director, Sam Raimi. So um, he's very well known for Evil Dead 1 and 2. This is a, a horror movie that I've seen before, both of them. Right. It has a cult following, and I don't get the movie. Well, th- And it's not just the Evil Dead either. And then you move on to Army of Darkness, which is like a follow-up to that almost, but it's not. I've never seen that. So Army of Darkness is... You definitely would know the movie if you saw it. Um, the guy, his arm gets cut off, so he like attaches a chainsaw to his arm, and like it's this whole big thing. Definitely never seen or it. Or is it a shotgun? I don't even remember. I haven't seen the movie since I'm like 15. But I will say that the, you know when you see The Evil Dead and you see Darkman, you know it's directed by the same person. Yeah. Uh, he also did The Quick and the Dead, which we'll get to in this podcast. And I have... Another infatuation with that movie. So. All right, well, we'll get there eventually. I'll uh, leave that alone. He also did Drag Me to Hell, which I know is a very popular uh, horror movie. He also directed another movie. That, it's not one of my favorites, but it's a it's a baseball movie for love of the game. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner. Also, I want to know how many sports movies has Costner done? He loves baseball. Taking loves Ca- baseball. Field of Dreams. 
for the love of the game. What's what's the other one? He Bull Durham. Right. Yeah. Well, he's a, like I said, loves baseball. He's been in multiple baseball movies and. <coughs> And he also did a simple plan. You ever see the movie A Simple no. Plan? That's really good. All right. All right so uh, let's talk about uh, best scene, worst scene. All right. So my – do you want to do worst first or be best first? You do your worst first and see if I agree. So my worst is when the guy warns the girlfriend in the office about the, the memo and he's like, oh, this guy's a bad guy and he's going to come looking for it. And I just want to give you a warning. And the whole time they're literally talking like this the whole time. Yeah. This is me warning you. And she's like, oh, thank you for the warning. Yeah, I, I thought that that whole I, that's my worst scene, too. I just thought it was like I didn't as far as plot points, I didn't really need it as far as, you know, progressing the story. I didn't really need it. Yeah. And the acting was. So I mean, far. you needed it to progress the story because you needed to know that, that memo was the reason that they were going to find knew him. that already. I guess kind of a little he bit. He just now it was the encounter of her with him. And is he going to kill her, too? Because she he knows right. that she knows about the memo. It was unnecessary, but whatever. Best scene? Uh, I said the best scene was uh, the first time Liam Neeson goes and catches one of these bad guys to interrogate them. And he has them in the in the sewer. And I just liked it because it was the first time we saw him go from like this calm, like yeah, well, well presented scientist to losing his mind because of the lack of being able to feel things and just yeah. lost it on this guy. He holds his head through the. The uh, man manhole and man cover manhole? manhole cover manhole cover. You need all those all words. All those words. <laughs> and he gets hit by the tractor trailer. Love that scene. I thought that was a very good scene. So my favorite scene is near the end, um, where um, the one of the bad guys, Lewis Stack, is monologuing and he's telling he's telling him how uh, he's telling excuse me Liam Neeson how they're not really different. One kills for profit, and the other kills for revenge. And I thought that that was the arc of the character. Which, you know, I didn't discover anything. It was easy to, to uncover. But um, Liam Neeson goes from a, a mild-mannered, normal citizen scientist to the monster that he was turned into. And he even tells the girlfriend at one point that, the, that you know, the man that he used to be is dead. And this is all that's left of him is, you know, in essence, a monster right. physically and and uh, his will to, to get vengeance. Yeah, and... Um, you know, it's it's pretty well played out. Uh, it's not a quick turn. It's a slow turn. Yeah. And um, I do like that part. Of it. Like I said, like every part with Liam Neeson, when Liam Neeson's involved, I, I, I enjoyed the movie when he's not there or when it's not him talking. I, I just don't like it. While I say that Liam Neeson was the best part of this movie and when it wasn't him, I wasn't happy. My favorite line of this whole movie actually came from the girlfriend. What'd she say? Uh, she goes after the. The bad guy reveals that he's the actual bad guy and he was controlling this whole thing from the beginning. Yeah. And he's like, well, no, we're not going to kill you. And she just goes like and very just calmly goes, if you're not going to kill me, I have things to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I got to pick up my dry cleaning then. <laughs> All right. So my my most quotable line is um, both from Stack and uh, Darkman. So. Uh, at the very end, when he's holding Stack off the uh, mm -hmm. I-beams, I guess, the yeah. rafters of the building that's being constructed, uh, Stack says to him, I know you too well. Dropping me is not an, is not something you could live with. And then uh, Liam Neeson drops him and says, I'm learning to live with a lot of things. <laughs> and like that was like the the, the, the actual turn moment where he was, he's... He was the, he had gone and gone forever. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like the, the arc of the character. I thought that that was well done. I got to be honest, having this conversation is making me like the movie a little bit more. Yeah. So uh, but Best, let's before we finish, we'll wrap this up. 
I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, best actor. I mean, obviously, I'm going with Liam. Obviously, and and worst actor. I said the girlfriend, and now knowing who she is, I think she should have done a better job. So Francis McDormand. I said Colin Friels, who plays the bad guy Lewis Stack. I just thought that his role was so one-dimensional. Well, I wrote the girlfriend or him, so I just ultimately went with the girlfriend, though. So we more or less agree on most things. Yeah. All right, coming in at number two, Young Guns 2. It is therefore considered by the court that William H. Bonney be hanged till he be dead, dead, dead. You can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> when I start, it, amigos. You're not dead. Do I look dead? <laughs> the entire country is reading about our territory every day in the journals. Should we give them a proper burial? And they're not reading about our growth towards statehood. I never stole a horse from someone I didn't like. Nah, he just kill him. What they are reading about is a 21-year-old delinquent. What scum? Who is making us look like imbeciles. Politicians, bankers, cattle kings. Scum. I got 18 dimes in each barrel, boy. You're starting to believe what they're writing about you, aren't you? <laughs> you wrote a 15-year-old boy straight into his grave. Goodbye, Bob. Best dollar eighty I ever spent. Rest of us, straight to hell. I don't take to tenderfoots in my gang. It ain't your gang, Dave. Let's hire a thief. Thousand dollars, Mr. Garrett, to catch one. And all the resources you need to carry out the extermination. Just playing the game, Doc. Step one, William H. Bonnie. Even their horses are crazy. We'll give them the game, Lauren. They're starting to surround us. We gotta get out of here. Dave, it's your gang. What? It's your gang. It's always been your gang. Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, Christian Slater, Balthazar Getty, Alan Ruck, James Coburn, and William Peterson as Pat Garrett. Yoo-hoo. I'll make you famous. Young Guns 2. Grossing $44 million. Uh, Young Guns 2, starring Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, Christian Slater, William Peterson, Alan Ruck, and a cameo of sorts by Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, listen, this is another one of those movies where I, I lack the ability to tell you whether or not it's a good movie because of how much I love this movie and how many times I've seen this throughout my life. It's just one of the things that I could throw on at any point and watch it or, or have it as background noise. I don't even need to see it anymore. Yeah, for me, this movie, though, fell far, far, far short of the first uh, version of Young Guns. It just felt like Young Guns, the original, had so much more. It just felt like they put much more effort into that movie than they put into this one. And I, that's just my opinion. All right. Well, look, let me ask you this then. In a hypothetical situation, if Young Guns 1 is a 10 out of 10, what do you think this is? I put it at a five or a six. No, I strenuously object. You can object all you'd like. That's my feeling. That's my rating. Listen, you're entitled to your own opinion, even if you're wrong. I mean, it's not that the movie is offbeat. It's just that it, it just feels like in every scene, except for I have two or three scenes that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, outside of that, it just feels like the whole movie just could have had a little bit more. Just a little bit more. What do you think was lacking? I don't understand. Well, we're going to get into that in a little bit. Right now, what I want to go into is just to talk about the plot and introduce this movie. All right, go ahead. All right, so the plot of this movie 
is we're in the future, the 1940s, and Billy the Kid, or someone claiming to be Billy the Kid, comes strolling out of the woods to talk to a reporter to tell the story about how Billy the Kid actually survived and he's still alive today. So then we flash back to after the Lincoln County Wars to Billy and his gang being chased by the law. But uh, there are a lot of things that I think that happened in this movie that just were lacking. For number one, the gunfights. I think there were two good gunfights in this movie, and there were at least 10 gunfights overall. They, they needed to be better. Okay, so then let's run down the gunfights. Number one, in the opening scene where he's back to being Billy the Kid, right? He's laying in the bushes. He's, he's playing possum because guys are coming. Bounty hunters, I guess, are coming to look for him. You didn't like that? I didn't like the fact that he played possum just a, a, a touch too long for my liking. He let the guy get his hands on him. I felt like if you're going to play possum, you have him in striking range. You have him dead to rights. You don't need to wait for him to get that close. Make your move, Billy. Make oh, your move. Okay. Well, I feel like you're splitting hairs there. I like the scene. And then right afterwards, in the same scene... You know, somebody shoots the horse that one of the bad guys are on, right? Pat Garrett walks up to the guy. He points his gun at him, goes to shoot him, and then has like almost like a moment of clarity. And he's like, hey, do I know you? And the guy's like almost being murdered on the spot. He's like, yeah, you know me, you do. He's like, yeah, what's your name again? And whatever the guy says his name is. And Garrett like waits a tick and looks at him. And he's just like, no, and shoots him. That's not amazing. Yeah, but I kind of felt like that went against Garrett's whole character in this movie. Like he, he I really felt. Well, first of all, William Peterson, who plays Pat Garrett, was awful. Uh, I, I, I'll <sighs> give you that. Garrett was the worst character in the movie. So I, I just felt like that. It, it, it worked great in that moment, and then like his whole character kind of veered from this ruthless murderer, because that's what he was, to like, no, I just want to live my life. Like how did he flip that switch real quick? I'll give you that. The movie did a bad job at Pat Garrett. Yes. The movie did a bad job at Pat Garrett. Uh, that's <laughs> There's nothing left to say. He's my least favorite character, but he's also supposed to be your least favorite character because he turns around and ends up hunting Billy. But that's fine, but he's not my least favorite character because he's the bad guy. He's my least favorite character because I thought they did him no justice. I'm not sure he deserved justice. What do you say? Uh, he's the second. He's the second lead in the damn movie. He needs to have a little more, a, a little depth? more depth and a little more con continuity. I, the character just flips way too quick for my liking. That's all. I mean, I guess I could say that if I was to try and find flaws with the movie, I would say that he just has an abrupt turnabout where he doesn't want a part of it. Doesn't want to be a part of the gang anymore. Wants to go and do something. He else. wants to live his life. Then immediately, okay, here's some money. Okay, now I'm gonna go kill my gang. Pick a lane, bro. All right. What's next? Who's a lane? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the one part of that scene I liked is that Billy got shot, right? Because they they make like Billy like this like just invincible, invincible, and now he's not. He he actually takes a takes a bullet to the leg, but. Let's be honest, any GSW in the 1800s will most likely at least cause some gangrene for a while and put you at, put you down for the count. You're splitting hairs again. <laughs> All right, I'll give you that. That's splitting hairs. I did hate the next scene where the cavalry rolls in looking for Billy the Kid. and He this, hides in the barrel? He hides in the barrel, and out comes this woman being like, oh, hey, want to get with me, boy, Sonny? Huh? She's trying to like hit on the, make them feel uncomfortable, whatever. And because of this woman, they don't actually search the place that they, they're almost certain Billy the Kid is in this one building. But they're not I, even going to search that room. I disagree with you. I feel like they were just like blanketing the area 
And if they happen to see him there, then they were good. If not, they're moving on to the well, next spot. My two issues with this were, one, I think they would have searched that room. Okay, whatever. We disagree on that. Two, you had an opportunity for another sick gunfight. This movie should just be all gunfights. That's the best part of Billy the Kid is that he has gunfights. Okay, well then, I, uh, you and I are looking for two different things from this movie because the best part of this movie for me is seeing, again, Emilio Estevez back on screen with Kiefer Sutherland, with um, Lou Diamond Phillips playing Chavez. Christian Slater, honestly, I could take or leave in this movie. And you get to see these guys who I feel like are almost like my real-life friends, right, from having watched part one so many times and getting to see them again in part two, which is not a bad movie, I think it's a treat. Like, I, I, feel, I feel lucky to be able to see this story and these characters reemerge. You're holding on too much to the nostalgia factor, and that's, that's honestly how I see this. this mo- it's not the worst movie I've ever seen, but I can't tell you that I was ever locked into it. Uh, that's a lie. There were three scenes where I was locked into it. That was it. Do you want me to go through those scenes? Do you want me to give you those scenes? Do the best, I guess, because we, we obviously don't agree. So All right. So the three best scenes in order. The lynch mob scene when Billy f- with the fake lynch mob. That's number one. That's a great scene. That's a great scene. They roll uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Well, let me use their character names, I guess. Doc, Doc. and Ch- Chavez y Chavez are in a dugout ditch. See, hold on. Let me interrupt. The fact that you just said... Chavez e Chavez just made me smile. <laughs> so they're 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 in this ditch, getting ready to be. They're waiting to be hanged the next day, and a lynch mob shows up, and they hate the criminals, so they just let the lynch mob take whoever they want to go and string them up, so that they're, they're right lynch mob killed. justice. Right, fine. So Billy decides I'm going to show up as a lynch mob and save my friends. Fantastic <laughs> idea, very Billy the Kid esque. Yep. Great. I uh, make some jokes at Doc. Doc figures out that it's him based on this, and Doc gets comfortable. Then they have this whole chase scene, this whole gunfight, which ends with uh, Billy and someone else throwing boxes of bullets uh, into the fire. So that as they ride away, as yeah. they ride away, so bolts just flying everywhere. Fantastic right. scene. Had a great time with that. Me Fine. too. Second scene wasn't as long of a scene, but I thought was the most well acted scene was at Chisholm's farm when they're going to try to get money from Chisholm. Chisholm says no, so Billy challenges his best man to a duel. Yep. So what does Billy do? Billy throws his gun on the ground and says, I'll tell you what, you go for your gun, and when that happens, I'll go for mine. But I'm going to tell you what, you ain't going to make it. What happens? The guy goes for his gun. Billy pretends to go for his gun. Arkansas Dave shoots him. Shoots him. With the shotgun. With the shotgun. Billy laughs like he always does. I love how he finds death humorous. <laughs> and then the second guy tries to draw on them. And the the new guy to the crew, I was Henry. Was Henry isn't quick enough to the draw, and then Doc has to kill a man, and you could just see like Doc was so quick and so accurate and so perfect, and it was just a well acted scene by Kiefer, and you knew Doc was back in it. Great scene. Okay, so look, I want to agree with you, and I do agree with you, but I'm also going to explain to you how you missed the nuance of certain things. So I. You may not have missed it when you were watching it, but you missed it in the explanation, which is Hendry, which is Alan Ruck, goes for the gun and it's stuck in the holster. They then pan the camera over to um, Christian Slater and he's like shaking his head at like how Henry's like he's incompetent in the in the moment. The guy goes to pull his gun on Billy. Doc shoots him. You don't know who shoots him just that the guy's dead. Then the camera pans over the Doc. And Doc's got like that hyper-focused look on his face. So Doc wanted no part of being back throughout the whole beginning of the movie. But this scene, 
he had to come to the rescue of his friend and did out of basically instinct because when the scene ends, Doc rides off pissed off that like now he's back in the gang sort of thing. Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, <laughs> That's what I was thinking, so thank you for clarifying. <laughs> and guess your last scene? My last scene is the whorehouse after they're done horn. <laughs> so, all right. It wasn't the whores that made that scene the best. It was the aftermath. So, th- Well, the, the, there's only one whore really in the scene that has anything to say right, on but screen. But it's not even the point and of the And there's no nudity, so it's and not. It's not about the whores anyway. Right. It's about after they're done with all that. They're sitting in the lounge and... Uh, I guess another lynch mob comes up looking for them again. No, this is the the deputy sheriff. Oh, okay, that's right. The deputy comes up with all the local farmers and men who they don't want any scoundrels or whatever it is in the scum scum in their town. Right. If you're Uh, gonna if you're gonna quote the movie, get it right. I didn't quote. You're correct. You're here. You're here to make it right, so it's okay. Okay. All right. So uh, (laughs) the 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 deputy comes in and he says. Listen, Billy, I heard you got a Mexican in here. And he's like, Mexican Indian, actually. Mm-hmm. He goes, but we got one of them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, turn him over. And I think things will be made right. And they'll let you go. And he goes, all right, yeah, I'll just turn over turn over the Mexican, right? And everything will be just fine. He goes, yeah. He goes, all right, well, the only thing is I don't turn over my pals. Mm-hmm. And then he dresses the guy up like Chavez, shoves him out the door, fires around in the air, and the townspeople pump about a 1,000 rounds into the deputy. Yes. I thought that was a great scene. You you summarized and I'll accept that because you got it you got the gist of it so yeah that was a great scene I mean but what was aside from lacking gunfights what was bad I mean I don't it's not that it was bad I, I never said that this was a bad movie I'm just saying well if the, you give a movie a five or six out of ten it doesn't make it good it doesn't make it bad either it just makes it like a movie it's there it's it's acceptable it passes as a movie. I didn't hate, there was no point in the movie where I hated it. I just couldn't get locked in because I just felt like there was just a commitment to the story missing. I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I just, it's not like the first one. The first one I turned that movie on and from the first second of that movie to the last second of that movie, I'm locked in and I don't want to turn it off. Well, let me let me ask you this then. It, so on a scale from zero to 10, what would you give the first one? A nine. Okay. Well then. I guess I look like I said, I I lack the ability to discern whether or not this movie is actually good. So if you're saying that it's not that good, I'm inclined to accept that fact reluctantly. But if you give the first one a nine, then maybe your point might be valid. I felt like this one, Young Guns 2, like I said, these three scenes, I don't just think they were good scenes. I think they were great scenes. So it had greatness in it. But I just don't think the rest of the movie held up. All right. Well, let's let's go through the categories then quickly. You did your best scenes. Give me a worst scene. Uh, my worst scene is that I, I spoke about it a little bit. When they go back to his little hideaway and I don't know where it was and he hides in the barrel. That whole scene for me, I just thought they missed they missed an opportunity and I just felt like it it wasn't the, it wasn't executed properly. Yeah, that's how I feel. Okay. Um, I disagree, but I, as far as my best scene goes, I mean, I don't really know. I, I, it's hard for me to have a best scene. Give in me this two. Movie. I guess I don't know when Billy's locked up and he shoots Bob. Oh, see, like I like that moment. I don't like that whole scene. I like the moment where he goes, "Hello, Bob," and just buries his. Bye, Bob. He says, "Hello, Bob." Yeah, but he says then he shoots him and, and he, he goes, says, "Bye, oh, Bob." Okay. Best dollar eighty-seven I ever spent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, my worst scene, I don't know. If I had to pick one, 
it would probably be any scene where Garrett was in it. I mean, I just didn't like Pat Garrett. I didn't like the guy who played Pat Garrett. But also, I'm supposed to not like Pat Garrett. So I can't really tell. Do I not like Garrett because he turns into, you know, he was riding with Billy and then he's chasing him down? Or do I not like him because the actor does a poor job? I can't really tell. But that's the thing, though. I I hate Hans Gruber, the, the character, but I loved Alan Rickman's role in the movie. Like I love Hans Gruber the character. He does a fantastic no, I, job. I hate him as like you you want him to die. You want him to lose, right? That's why that's not why I hate Pat Garrett. I don't hate Pat Garrett because I want him to lose. I hate Pat Garrett because I don't believe the actor portraying the character. Okay. And I it, I absolutely hated everything about Pat Garrett and I didn't care what happened to Pat Garrett to be honest with you. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on then. Director Jeff Murphy uh, died in December 2008 at 80 years old. 24 acting credits. This was by far, in my opinion, his best film. Well, the biggest movie he worked on was Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. He was a second unit director, whatever that means. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's my point. Uh, wrote a memoir called A Life on Film. Uh, published in 2015, which I think that I would like to try and read. So, uh, quotable lines. I just got the one. Hello, Bob, and he pulls the trigger. Bye, Bob. All right. What about you? Who I'll make you famous. It doesn't hit home for no. you. Oh. What about the little kid, Tom? He they're w- w- riding into town, and he, I, I like this line. Tom. He goes. He sees a sign. He goes. What's scum? And Billy goes, well, Tom, that's bad types. Politicians, bankers, cattle kings, <laughs> scum. And then they call back to it later when the, the mob starts coming up on the whorehouse. And Tom goes up to Billy. He's like, Billy, they don't, they don't, they don't tolerate scum. Right. <laughs> uh, what about uh, the sheriff? The DA goes up to the sheriff. He's telling him how he wants him to hunt down Billy the kid. He takes, uh, yeah, a he takes a star and throws it on the ground. He goes, I'd rather drink turpentine and piss, piss on, on a brush, brush fire. fire. Yeah. I ain't touching them. <laughs> All right, so there are a couple of quotable lines. I, no, I, no, no, I'll no. I'll give you that. No, the oh, movie. You have more? No, the movie's full of quotable lines. Oh, I'll right. give you one more in an effort to uh, keep this short, which it probably isn't already. But <laughs> they're pulling up to, uh, they're riding up, not pulling up to whatever town they're getting to. They see some guy mining, and uh, they ask the guy what he's mining. He goes, "What's the word?" Guano. Guano. Batshit. Dave goes, I've been to gold towns, silver towns. I even been to turquoise towns, but I ain't never been to a batshit town. Can't wait to see the women. <laughs> How is yeah. that not great? All right. They're good lines, but it doesn't make the movie good. All right. Well, the movie's great. Hold on real quick before we go. Yeah. Uh, move on, I should say. Uh, we just got to do best role, worst role. I think it's pretty clear what we think. Um, Billy the Kid's the best role. I'm going to give you- did his job. Okay. And I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you agree or disagree? No, I, well, I agree and disagree, but go ahead. Well, I was going to move on to worst role. Go ahead. Which is clearly Pat Garrett and the miscast of, uh, what the hell's his name again? Uh, William Peterson. Okay. He's, he's not a cowboy. I'm sorry. All right. So I agree with you on worst role. Best role for me, I feel, is a three-way tie. I feel like Emilio Estevez as Billy the Kid, Kiefer Sutherland as Doc, and Lou Diamond, Lou Phillips. Diamond Phillips as a, as Chavez. I could take all three of them. I just want to, you know what I want to do somehow is I want to bundle them up and somehow have them in like some sort of pill form where I'm, when I'm feeling bad, I could take that pill and just feel comforted. And you feel warm and fuzzy inside. That's exactly it. So you want them inside of you. <laughs> 
<laughs> in so many words, I guess yes. <laughs> lastly, I want one last tidbit. Bon Jovi uh, wrote Blaze of, Go- Blaze of Glory for the movie at the request of Emilio Estevez. Uh, hit number one on the Billboard Top 100. All right. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought so, too. I actually had that written down as well. So after all said and done, Chris changed his mind, and he loves this movie. Still give it – I'll go up. I'll make it a six. I'll, I'll settle on a six. I'm, I'm as at, high as I'm going. Now, in in in, in um, retrospect, I feel like maybe this movie is a, uh, a nine out of ten. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right. What's next? All right. Coming in at number one, Flatliners. I'm sorry. Young Guns grossed 44 million. If I didn't cover that, Flatliners grossing 61 million dollars. Chris, this movie was weird. Today's a good day to die. Flatline. 30 seconds to go. Can you recall any specific emotion or sensation? No, but there's something out there. We're running out of time. 300. Clear. Nothing. Your heart going dead. Clear. Nothing. I can't hear anything. Come on, Nelson. Freeze. We lost him. No. Batman. I'm going next. Two minutes. Two ten. Was there anything negative about your experience? This is too weird. We've experienced death. Now somehow we brought our sins back physically. <laughs> that is not hallucination and it is not possible. Oh my god. You withheld information that's the same as lying. You wouldn't have done it. At least we would have had a choice. You're not real. <laughs> hey, come on, they're your sins. Live with them. I do. No! Flatliners. Some lines shouldn't be crossed. Yeah, it was weird. Um, so this is what I as soon as I finished watching the movie, I texted you and it just was one sentence. It was I want to like this movie. But I don't. All right. So first, let's get into the cast because the cast is phenomenal. It's absurd how this many movie should great be so actors better than it is. Kiefer Sutherland plays Nelson Wright. Julia Roberts plays Rachel Manis. Kevin Bacon plays David Labracchio. Billy Baldwin plays Joe Hurley. And a man that I love every time he's on screen. And I loved him in this movie, too. Uh, yes, I loved him in this movie, too. You know why? Because you know what you're going to get and you're in good hands when he's on screen because he delivers exactly what you expect. And from exactly him. what he should do, Olive, what you should get from him. Oliver Platt plays Randy Steckel. Um, plot of this movie, Chris? The plot of this movie is they're, they're med students and Kiefer Sutherland has this desire to explore the other side and he wants to kill himself, but in a way that, that he can be brought back by his fellow med students so that yeah. he can just see what's what's on the other side of death. And so I, the first thing I noted was not an undertone, but a religious overtone to the entire movie. Yeah, How many times they shot a, um, a religious statue or a crucifix or something of that nature was like crammed down your throat. It was it, and like I get it. But like you said, it was just a little too much. And. The way they set up the scene, the scenery was strange to say the least. Because that hospital, where like the, it, the hospital was in a church. Uh, so this is my main problem with this movie: is that I didn't understand the tone. I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. You were supposed to feel ominous. I think I think that was pretty. I didn't feel heavy. ominous. I didn't. I didn't feel that way. I felt like. There wasn't any scene that was set in reality. Not right. okay. Yeah, that I can agree with, right? Like 
so, none of it would, was like situations, except for Julia Roberts. The only time it felt real was when Julia Roberts was on the screen. No, the only time I felt like I was in a real place was when we were in Julia Roberts' apartment. That one, t- that one little scene where she had a normal-looking apartment. Well, I would also argue that when, when we finally get to see what her issue is, uh, and they go back to her as a child, I felt that was real as well. All right, so no, my point is uh, Kiefer Sutherland's apartment is weird, okay? There's no furniture. It's oddly lit. and It's, it's humongous it's, it's, for a med student. It's, it's absurd. But okay? they do make mention of it, like, oh, I'll trade you for your apartment. Like, the, they know it's got the great apartment. Yeah, but did you see how it was lit? It had blue lights and, like, yes. the floor blew, the whole, floorboards. The, whole, the lighting was weird. All right, the let me, settings let me can, were weird. It was the, the strange. S- the store that they go in, like the convenience store, it was like weirdly lit, and, and the, there wasn't an attendant there, no cashier or and anything. And the entrance was in an alleyway. And the diner <laughs> that they go to, the diner, a dining hall. Yeah, it, it was all. Like a, so, understand how the place was in essence closed, right? All the other chairs on all the other tables were were up on the tables, turned over, like how a a restaurant would close. And they're at one table with one waitress. Nobody else is in the place. That's not reality. That's not the craziest thing, though. It's like they they were the last customers to get in. They were closing up. They said, oh, just one more table. Fine. Fine. I could take... It's the size of that diner that and how far away the tables are. Yeah, they had a table in the middle of this big room with no other tables. That's what was weird. And and then what about the hospital? Like you mentioned before. The hospital was the the craziest part of this whole movie. It was like a museum. It was more museum than hospital. And why are they doing um, all these practice on cadavers in the dark? In the dark, in this tiny room, in this humongous, quote-unquote, museum. And then what was with the the, the, the rolling uh, display of black gloves that was yeah. in every scene? I don't. I think that was part of the museum. I don't know what that was. Like, I don't understand. Like, that's my point. I don't understand no. how I'm supposed to feel. Right. And you don't... But also, why are they doing it there? Yeah. They all... They, they all have... Someone has this giant apartment. Seriously. So it none of that made sense, but uh, I also wrote the tight shots on their faces uh, that were slightly askew made me uncomfortable. I think you were supposed to be made feel to feel uncomfortable in those situations, but and I, I I didn't have an issue with that. The se. the plot of the movie didn't make me uncomfortable. It was the shooting of the movie that made me uneasy. Right, but they want you to feel uneasy, so they tried to make it through the way they shot the movie. Yeah, but I think that they achieved the wrong goal. I don't think that they got to what they were looking to get to. All right. All right, anyway, another thing I wanted to ask you was, why was there steam everywhere again? <laughs> okay, so this is around Halloween, and are you ready for this? Go ahead. So we had this conversation, not last night, but the night before. Uh-huh. You texted me, so much steam again always steam in all these movies uh-huh. but this movie set around halloween okay it's about halloween time now so the next morning i had to drop my daughter off at daycare and as i'm driving i stop at a stop sign and i look over and there, coming out for the first time in my life i've ever seen this coming out of one of the side drains in the ground is steam pouring out pouring i mean like just just like in the movie just tons of steam and i, I was like you know what it's not that crazy for there to be steam there. I don't know. There was and Chicago, and Halloween time. It's cold, but the water's still warm. That's I, why. I, so then, fine. But then explain to me why there was steam coming out of the leaves when Kevin Bacon goes to apologize to the girl that that he uh, 
bullied in back in school. That, that I can't explain. Okay, so as, as, at least you'll admit. And that. let's talk about her house. So you come up to her house, and it's a normal house, but yet she has an entire farm. Greenery, uh, greenhouse. Uh, greenhouse. Just yeah. where though? It's in, a regular in the back. House. It's just in the back. <laughs> let's go to the gigantic greenhouse in the back. I'm a farmer now. All right, so so let's talk more about the plot of the movie because when they when they flatline, they think they finally found that there's something else on the other side. But what happens is they bring back their quote unquote sins, their past transgressions right. that, with them. And the only way to stop the sins from coming after them is to atone. Atone. So they have to. So they once finally again, figure it religious out. Religious overtones. Yes, they finally figure out at towards the end of the movie. Uh, Bacon figures out that you got to atone for your sins and make it right. And then the things will stop chasing. Which him. I thought that was a nice little scene, though, him going back to. I thought that was one of the better scenes yeah, of the I, entire movie. I agree. I, I thought that it was, you know, it made sense. And it, it it was, you know, shot in reality. And it was acted well. Yeah. Well, I think, well, not to get ahead of myself, but I think Bacon is one of the better actors in the there movie. Was only, there, there, I mean, like you said, all right, we're, not, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk right. about the director, Joel Schumacher. So Joel Schumacher has quite the career. Saint Elmo's Fire, which, mind you, I thought was directed by John Hughes. <laughs> I thought it was another John Hughes movie. It feels like it would be, yeah. Because well, it's a Brad Pack movie, that's why. So he shot Saint Elmo's Fire in '85. I uh, did the Lost Boys in '87. Uh, Flatliners came in '90. Flatliners, then Batman Forever. Uh, no, then Falling Down in '93. Okay. Well, I, I kind of skipped to the movies that I really know, and I don't really. Falling Down's a great movie, but we'll get to that obviously in '93. Then Batman Forever, which is maybe okay. the worst Batman. No, 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 no. Batman Forever's okay. Batman and Robin is the worst Batman. Is the worst Batman. That came out in '97. Eight Millimeter, which is a phenomenal oh, movie. I was gonna say bonkers movie. Well, I love that movie. Uh, well, I gotta revisit Joaquin, it. Nick, Nick Cage, Joaquin Phoenix, and James Gandolfini. Let's also remember that I was far too young when I first saw this movie. I was maybe thirteen. Yeah, well, oh, fourteen you would be right in '99. Oh, yeah. Okay. But anyway, and splitting then, hairs there. Eight, uh, and then he did. Go ahead. I'm phone sorry. Phone booth. Yeah, that's a terrible, god-awful movie. And I can't tell you how many arguments I've had about that it's movie. It's a god-awful movie. Well, because people are like, well, it's so good for a movie that was only one setting. And I'm like, yeah. it's terrible because it only has one setting. Anyway. Uh, and the number 23, which was another bonkers movie. Well, he's also very well known for The number 23 is actually a fairly good movie. I liked it much more the first time I've ever seen it upon revisits. Just because I say bonkers okay. doesn't mean I think it's bad. Okay. I'm sorry. And then he's also pretty well known for The Phantom of the Opera that he did in 2004. Yeah, but... That's a snore. I don't care who you are. All right. Uh, let's talk about best scenes, worst scenes. All right. So I already mentioned one of my nominees was when Kevin Bacon goes to apologize to the now grown-up version of the little girl he tormented as a child. Yeah, I like that. So first of all, I like how they – it wasn't – like at first you're thinking it's ghosts because I was fairly certain that he – that they killed people. They brought back ghosts with them. Right. And I was fairly certain they were bringing back ghosts. Then he's like, he starts looking for this girl, finds out she's still alive. Not only that, he calls the mother, and the mother just gives over her daughter's phone number and address without any question. Well, it's 1990. I guess it's a different time. And he goes back. He finds her. She tries to play it off like she doesn't care. He apologizes. It's a sweet moment. And then as he's leaving, she says, thank you. And that was it. And you could see the relief in his eyes. And I thought this was so brilliant brilliantly acted by kevin beacon because when he first starts walking away you see this disappointment you see this he didn't atone the way he wanted to 
But as soon as she says, thank you, that was it. You saw the relief. You saw that ex- exhale from Kevin. I just thought it was a great scene. I thought uh, I liked that scene a lot, and I would nominate that for best scene. I thought that the best scene to me uh, was when Julia Roberts was, was dying, uh, when she flatlined, and right. they really couldn't get her to come back. I thought that was – I was actually, like – glued to the screen it was intense i thought it was done well see i had the same thought but for the first for when uh kiefer flatlined yeah and more for the fact that when platt starts freaking out i started freaking out with him well yeah i, I listen <laughs> there's uh, i don't want to sidebar but i'm gonna sidebar there's a movie coming up this decade called the three musketeers and oliver platt has some phenomenal quotes in that movie I really can't wait to do that. Also, Kiefer Sutherland and Charlie, Charlie Sheen, Sheen and Chris and O'Donnell and Rebecca De Mornay, which so, we could do without her, yeah. but she's there. <laughs> we'll get back to that in 93. Wait, can, can we just skip ahead to that movie real quick? No, There's so, movies that, so many movies, I just want to bounce straight to them. Yeah. I want to go back and talk about Young Guns 2 again. <laughs> I don't. All right. So, uh, the worst scene. The worst scene is uh, when they show what Kiefer did with the children um mainly because it was just i don't know it was it didn't grip me the way it wanted to and then when the kid falls out of the tree and then they reenact it with Kiefer falling out of the tree later yeah. on it just it, it was, was kind of so, dead it, it was, was kind of beat right just like so just... poorly shot too like they literally just had him standing there and passed like sticks past his face to, to yeah yeah on the falling yeah he wasn't sur- actually falling yeah well it was supposed like maybe it was supposed to be surreal but i noticed that too and i thought that that, that was poorly done yeah. and um, then and then when the kid falls down right and he, he dies yeah okay he broke his neck i can buy that falling out of a tree yeah but now he has branches and not just like branches like twigs that somehow pierce through his body it, it was just i didn't like silly that. it was yeah. just a silly idea I agree with you. That was bad. I, I, I put I couldn't grab like a worse scene because I didn't really like the movie. And I think the worst part of this movie was the overall tone. So I just wrote the tone. Yeah, and okay, I can get on board with that for sure. And it's like like I said, like I want to have liked this movie. I there's something there. I thought yeah. So I had a before because I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid, right? And before this. This viewing, I thought that like, oh, I'm going to get back in the flatliners. I felt like I've been missing something not watching this movie for all these years. Turns out I haven't watched this movie for all these years because it sucks. Yeah. But again, I don't think it sucks. I just think it misses the mark. I think it falls way short of anybody's expectations who grew up in as a kid in the 90s. Yeah, I agree with you there. It's just like I understand. See, like this is the type of movie I understand why they remade it. And but I heard it was terrible. I never. Saw I the haven't remake. seen the remake. I heard it was awful. I don't do remakes. Uh, uh, just out of principle, but, generally. But if you're gonna remake a movie, let's remake a movie that has a good base and fell but, flat, but, but falls short. Yes, right? I agree with you. But like, but you better come through with it the second time. Yes, you got to hit a home run. I've read with the second one, like <laughs> made the first one look like a masterpiece. All right, let's move on. Best role. Uh, best role to me was probably I want to say Bacon, but I really just. I have to give it to Julia Roberts. Again, she just has something that like the rest of them don't have. I mean, I might agree with you, but I wrote Bacon. I thought Bacon did a really good job of being maybe the the aside from Julia Roberts and well and Platt, but Platt had such a small role. He was pretty much the only thing that was grounded in reality. Yeah. 
Um, so I can't choose Bacon just because <laughs> the first the, the second time we see Bacon when he's coming out of his window of his dormitory and for some reason he's What was that? <laughs> Why was he rappelling down the wall? <laughs> and not only is he rappelling, like you're on the second story third story, whatever you it is. You didn't need the harness. You didn't the harness. That's what did it for me. I was like that I was out for Kevin I couldn't Bacon. be I couldn't be any more on the same page with you. <laughs> I was like, okay, if you want to be quirky and weird and leave the college that's suspending you out the window because you're like, screw this place, fine. If you want to do it with a rope because you're on the second story, fine. But dude, you don't need the harness harness bro <laughs> worst case scenario you might break a bone i'm so happy you were mad about this though. so mad about that <laughs> all right um we're uh, so also i want to nominate uh oliver platt for best role because no i'm fine with that but like you said he's not in it enough. he's not in it enough to, to take best role of the movie but also he was my favorite character and in i the do movie. nominate him for one of my best quotes okay uh worst role uh, it kiefer I, this is this is what i was talking about this is the mistake i made when I, we were talking about Young Guns, because we watched two Kiefer movies in the same month, and I, he just overacts so hard, like it's like it, there's there's no in between. It's just either he's super crazy and angry, or he's just super calm and just like we got this. And I just it, both are just such to me sure signs of overacting. All right. Well, uh, I mean, he he didn't really he didn't hit a home run for me, so I'll accept that. I I'm gonna say. Without a doubt, for me, the worst the worst role was Billy Baldwin. I would say that, except for Billy Baldwin does exactly what you expect Billy Baldwin to do. No, that's but I, I'm not going to accept that because he's on screen, so I'm going to accept. Billy Baldwin's terrible every time I've ever seen him, <laughs> right? So I'm not going to, to sit here and say it's okay to be terrible because that's who you are. My point is, is that he had no character arc. He didn't learn anything. The only thing that happened to Billy Baldwin was that he got caught. That was it. <laughs> So what was the point of him being there? We could have done without his character. Yeah, but nothing would have changed. Uh, I think he was supposed to have learned something, though. No. Uh, wi- okay, but if you try to make a good movie and don't, am I supposed to say, okay, you made a good movie? Yeah, I hear you. All I right, you. go ahead. Moving on. Quotable lines. I have some. I have two. Go ahead. Uh, the first one was when they were in the diner. And <laughs> it's actually a Billy Baldwin quote. Um, the, the waitress comes up and he just randomly goes, I came back from the dead tonight. And she goes, I'm not surprised. We had Elvis here last night. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was good. At least it's a, at least it's a weird diner. All right. I'm going to give you uh, two from Kiefer. Number one is obvious. Kiefer's like, today's a good day to die. Great. Okay. Number two, they're talking about whether or not Kiefer has the balls to go through with it. And he, he turns to whoever he turns to. He goes, you bring the equipment. I'll, I'll bring, bring my balls. balls. Yeah, that was good, too. Um, another one, again, this is just me picking out stupidity because that's my favorite lines. Yep. Uh, it's Halloween and they're, they're, uh, Ju- is it Julia Roberts was getting her flat line, I think. And Billy Baldwin shows up in a skeleton costume and, and, uh, Platt just looks at him and goes, what are you supposed to be? Boner man. <laughs> that was a good one. Cause I didn't see it coming at all. <laughs> I was going to write that down, but I thought it was too obvious. I wanted to go with, uh, with something else. Mm. I have a few more. You can tell me if you like him or not. So after Billy Baldwin goes under, he comes out and he tells him about what happened, about all the women that he saw. And Platt's response was, he's dead and he gets laid. (laughs) Or uh, Baldwin goes, guys, I've been haunted by images of my past, too. I thought it was just brain damage. And then Platt goes, in your case, it probably is. (laughs) Yeah, that was a really good one, too. All right. Immensely. Lastly, my this has to be my favorite line. My, well, my most quotable line of the whole movie. 
Platt goes, good thing I didn't flatline. My 350-pound babysitter would be chasing me for the half-eaten pastrami sandwich I stole from her. Yes, I actually died laughing during that. So Bro, died laughing. My wife was, again, quote-unquote, watching the movie with me. Yeah. <laughs> and I literally started, like, you know, like when you're in a movie and something funny happens and you're with your friend, you start smacking them in the shoulder. Like, I was doing that to my wife, and she's like, what the hell are you doing? Get away from me. <laughs> but I was dying laughing during that scene. Um, real quickly, before we move on. Yeah. Well, this is the end of it. Oh, so. this is the end. Just one more scene that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, so when after Julia Roberts flatlines, seeing her with her dad, like finally figuring Reconcile. out what was happening. Yeah. Uh, I guess that wasn't flatlining. That was when she, I'm sorry, she allowed her, herself to fall into the experience with her father. Yeah. I got actual chills when she sees that he's shooting dope and he starts apologizing to her and the embracement with her and her father. Like, I don't know. I felt that scene. I liked it. I mean, I, I just, it was fine. I, I don't That's know. it. So you got, I'm I, sorry. I can't I elaborate. Feelings. I, I know I'm, I'm <laughs> supposed to sit here and agree with you, but Sometimes. I, I really just, I didn't you don't. care. All right, fine. I, I didn't cared. care. I cared. I liked it. I also, one last thing I wanted to say, too, was I didn't get the message that the movie was sending. So, like, so they figured out that there's an afterlife, but that what? It's, it's hell for everybody? Right. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a, you know, I don't know why I didn't think of that, but it is a good point. Like, so, but then she says, no, afterlife is good. But no, she, the then she goes back to, she also says, she runs back to the, the old lady that was dying in her care, and she's gone, and she goes, I wanted to tell her it was a mistake that it's not whatever... Th- Whatever she says, that's positive. I forget right. the exact line. But then, yeah. I, uh, that's a ridiculous conclusion to be drawn, that, like, the afterlife is torture for everybody. Right. So th- the whole idea is that you can't possibly have happiness. Like, I, 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 I don't get it either. All right. So that's August of 1990. There were two really good movies in there that I love. Uh, one or two that I want to watch and flatliners uh, I want to like, which it sound might sound like I liked it, but I really didn't. There were parts of it I liked, and just look, didn't. this was a this was a great this was a great month for ten year old me. So, um, duck I love Ducktales at yeah. ten. <laughs> My Blue Heaven was great. My Blue Heaven was great. Yeah. All right, so coming in September nineteen ninety, we have one movie really that is gonna lead the discussion for everything. So I'm gonna really blow through everything else probably just so I could get to Goodfellas. This movie is without a doubt one of the greatest gangster movies of all time. It's the greatest gangster movie of all time because it's the only one not only can I stomach but it's like one of my top five movies all time. Also we have in this movie Postcards from the Edge which I don't know who's in that or what what it's about and we have Pacific Heights which I don't know who's in that or what what that's about. So we we have two movies you never heard of. We do have uh, King of New York. That's a Christopher Walken vehicle. Okay, I like Christopher Walken. If you've never seen this movie, which I don't think you have, have you? Nope. You're gonna enjoy this movie. Make it a fourth watch. You're gonna uh, you'll like that movie probably more than anything else. Obviously, with the exception of Goodfellas. Right. So I had a good time this month. Uh, some movies that I loved, and it's good to be really. Uh, hitting my stride, my stride anyway. I know this wasn't particularly your favorite. Yeah, but you know what? I did have a good time watching them because I really felt like being able to have this discussion. It's 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 really better when we don't agree. I agree, <laughs> <laughs> but I disagree because yes. it's better. Yes. All right, listen. Uh, this is why we're doing this because I have a blast 
having these conversations with you and I hope other people are enjoying them. So I think we're, we're getting better. We're kind of finding our stride and uh, hopefully it will continue to get better as, as time goes by. So okay. thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next see time. See you in two weeks.